0: Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message for more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the river Claremont. um, A series of responsibility really has to do with just growing up spiritually mature and realizing that you got to take ownership of your life. A lot of people, um, We'll blame a lot of things on other people. And to pick on one is you blame it on, a lot of people blame it on their pastor or their church uh, for what happened to them. And let me tell you, there's not a perfect church and there's definitely not a perfect pastor. Um, And can you get hurt? You can get hurt. Can you heal? Absolutely. The Lord says, "I'm, I'm called to heal the broken heart. So anything you go through, you can't let things you've gone through become an excuse of why you don't move forward. You're supposed to move forward. Can I get an amen? Amen. So you got to take ownership of your life, your wealth, your education, your choices, your weaknesses, your faults, your dreams, your visions, everything. You've got to take responsibility for that. Even when Timothy was called, which the Bible says, uh, Paul spoke of him. I thank God for the faith that was instilled in you by your own grandmother, Lois, and by your mother who was true to the faith. And then he said, don't forget the gift that's in you by the laying on of hands of the elders. So stir that gift up. But he still spoke to Timothy and he said, make full proof of your ministry. In other words, step up and prove that the hand of the Lord is upon you. Amen. Amen. And oftentimes we want recognition before we've proven anything. We want blessing before we've even gone through sowing. And so responsibility is recognizing that where I am today is entirely based upon what I did yesterday. Would you agree with that statement? If so, say amen. Amen. So if you don't like your current situation, choose today to make better decisions to move towards something else. Amen? Is that good? You okay with that? You mad about that? Let me tell you, by the end of the day's service, some of you will love me, some of you might not like me. But that's all right, because my wife likes me. Most of the time. She does. She loves me. (laughs) Listen, we're a full-blown, full-gospel, Holy Spirit church. We do believe in everything the Bible speaks about. We believe that people fall under the power of God because they can't stand anymore. See, where's that in the Bible? All throughout the Bible. And when the angels showed up at the tomb, the men fell over as dead men. When they came to arrest Jesus, he said, I am he, and they fell over as dead men. When the psalmist wrote David, he said, the Lord makes you lie down in green pastures. What's he talking about? <laughs> Lying down, man. Whack. That's, that's God's operating table. That's where the Lord puts things in you and takes things out of you. Amen. Anybody testify that carpet time is good time? When's the last time you had a little good old-fashioned Pentecostal carpet time? If you don't know what this floor smells like, I'd trouble you to say, how close are you to the Lord right now? Amen. God is good. We believe on the laying on of hands, which Hebrews 6 actually tells us that that's elementary. That that's the sheer basic doctrine of the Christian faith. For baptisms, repentance over dead works, new birth through Jesus Christ, salvation, and the laying on of hands. And so this day and age, we act like that's for the mature. But the Bible says that's the elementary things. And it says, can we move past that into mature things? So laying on of hands is impartation. Acts tells us that when they laid hands on people, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Simon tried to buy that gift, and they said, Your, gift, your, your money perish with you because you can't buy the gifts of God. Amen. Amen. It's an impartation. The Bible says lay hands on the sick and what? Lay hands on the sick and... Come on, say it a little louder. Lay hands on the sick? Come on, somebody. So what are you supposed to do? Lay hands on the sick. Come on. Not just shout across the room. Breath of heaven, breathe. Breathe on them. (laughs) Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Uh, And so we believe in impartation. But I I, I said that before I preface what I'm about to say. In my years of serving the Lord, I would venture to say that it matters less what hands are laid upon you than what you lay your hand to. Because you're going to have to put your hand to something in life to walk out the calling of God upon your life. Amen? Amen. And hear me as I say this, nobody under the sound of my voice right now was put on the earth to work a job. You're not put here so you can work a job and, and wait for heaven. You are put on earth because God formed you in your mother's womb for a divine task and a supernatural calling, and you need to find that calling, amen? amen. Friday night in Tampa, I got the privilege of sitting next to Kenneth Copeland at dinner, awesome minister of the gospel, full of faith, full of power, been preaching the word, uninterrupted for 50 plus years, um, works out every day, he says, and I mean, he's just amazing. And so I told him, I'm going to work out every day and just to pass you, amen? He said, you got about 50 years, boy, you better step it up. <laughs> and so he said something that I wrote down and I feel it applies directly to what I'm preaching today. He said, Oral Roberts, which he was the pilot of Oral Roberts, an awesome also giant in the faith, mighty man of God. Looked at him one time and said three things to live your life by, and you should write these things down. Number one, find the will of God for your life. Find the will of God for your life. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul was walk, w- w- on the road to Damascus, breathing out threatenings, as the Bible says, in other words, threatening to kill the, the church, he met Jesus on the road. Has anybody in here ever met Jesus? Amen. Come on, raise your hand if you Amen. met Jesus. Hallelujah. You know that in that moment, things change, Right? I remember sitting across from a person, and he said, let me tell you something. A touch from God is not enough. They really need a lot more than that. And I was like, brother, you did not get a touch then. Because <laughs> you can get a touch as a laid-back country boy from Tennessee with everything screwed up in the head. And it in me a fire so passionate that I chased down God. Amen? Amen? Yes, an encounter with Jesus changes everything. Just look at Paul. Say He asked two very important questions that day. Number one, Paul said, who are you, Lord? And that is to say that until you really meet Jesus, you're never going to do the things that God has called you to do. You can't know Jesus through your husband, through your wife, through your children, through your friends. You have to know him yourself. Amen? you got to meet Jesus. So if you've never met him today, may he walk up on the, on, the, on the open door of your heart and may you meet Jesus like you've never met him before. Amen. And after meeting Jesus, he says, who are you, Lord? He answered the question as he said it. You're Lord of everything. And then he said, what do you want me to do? And so that began the entire work of Paul in the ministry to where he ran his race and accomplished things. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He had a revelation of grace that nobody had. And today we still ride on the the revelation that this man had because he met Jesus. Come on. You all right? That's the Lord touching you. Something just took off in you like a firework right there. We're just up here having church, and she's getting, she's meeting Jesus. Come on, somebody. Father, I thank you, Lord. Or they've stepped out in faith for this upcoming conference. Lord, I just declare may the glory of the Lord rest in that place. May every person that walks in that place go to another level in you, Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord, the face-to-face encounters, the heavenly supernatural moments. In Jesus' name. Jesus. You got to meet Jesus. Second thing, so find the will of God. You find the will of God by meeting Jesus and getting that from God. Second thing, he said, is confer no more with flesh and blood. Once you know what God wants you to do, why would you talk to the world to see if that's the will of God? Why would you check with social media? Why would you check with the masses? Why would you check with fleshly people? Why would you check with those people to see if it's the Lord? Confer not with flesh and blood. If it came from God, you can do these things. Amen. God doesn't call you to something that's impossible. He doesn't lead you somewhere he won't keep leading you out of. So let me tell you this. Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, when I met the Lord, when I received my calling, I did not confer with flesh and blood. But I went out and I began to do it. Paul ran seven years before he ever confirmed with anybody in the church if he was even supposed to run. But fruit was already there. Somebody say amen. Amen. When God tells you you can do something, guess what? You can do it. Do you believe it? Say amen. Hallelujah. Confer not with flesh and blood. Don't let the devil talk you out of what God just spoke into you. And lastly... Get the job done at whatever cost. That's the most important part. Well, maybe not. They're all important. You better, you better get the will of God. You better go. But get the job done. Don't do a half job. Come on, somebody. And everybody knows it's great to start a job. It's that finished work that really drags you down. Right? Just come to my house right now. There's still projects that my wife is like, When Jesus returns, will this be done? And I'm like, it depends when he returns, babe. But when he returns, it won't matter. Get the job done. Paul said in Philippians, man, I poured out my life like a drink offering to the Lord. It cost him his life. It cost him his life. So you want to talk about the cost? It cost him everything. But he didn't care. He counted the cost, said, I'm doing this thing, and he did it at all costs. Whatever heaven has called you to do, accomplish that at all costs. Just because it's tough doesn't mean it's not God. Amen? No one else is in the captain's seat of your life. It is time to take responsibility for your own life. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to read two important scriptures today to, to begin what I'm talking about. I'll try not to take too long, but who knows when we'll get out of here. Three people were excited. Everybody else started holding their breath. I will say this. Last week when Pastor Mark preached, it filled me with compassion for you because when I'm not preaching, I was starving. I was like, my God, is that what these people go through? Lord, may they get a golden crown in heaven because I could eat this chair right now. I mean, this Bible is leather. I could chew on this like right now. I'm so hungry. It's like, after service, people are like, hey, how you doing? It's good day. know." all I'm thinking is, feed me. I'm a very chill person until I'm hungry. So if you're hungry right now, may the Lord fill your gut with the word of the Lord. You have meat you know not of. Amen? Every time you preach on spiritual hunger, people are starving after the service. It's like, who wants prayer? And everybody just gets up and runs out the door. I'll pray at the buffet, pastor. By the way, you better pray at buffets. You don't know how many hands have been on that stuff. (laughs) I follow my kids sometimes, and I'm like, My God, girl, did you just put that egg roll back? What's wrong with you? Someone behind you, hey, how you doing today? The Lord is good, amen, yeah. Oh, just maybe those have been in there a while. I wouldn't touch the egg rolls right now. (laughs) <laughs> Don't you love it too on buffets When you can tell it hasn't been stirred in a while And you are the first person to decide to eat that Because it's got that film over it <laughs> For all you faith filled people That have scraped that film aside And said I'm going all the way <laughs> this, ain't, this ain't discouraging me Mystery meat will be my portion And you are still here today, alive and well. So that's a testimony that no matter what comes against you, the Lord will see you through. Somebody say amen. Glory to God. (laughs) All right. This is serious time. Yeah, it's Luke 19. It's church. Come on. Get with it. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. It says, the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said, a noble man was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. But before he left, he called together ten of his servants, and he divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I am gone. But his people hated him, and they sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want you to be our king. But after he was crowned king, don't you love that? It's like (laughs) he just ignores all of that. We don't want you to be king. But after he was crowned king, because you can't stop it. Amen? But after he was crowned king, he returned and called on the servants to whom he had given the money. And he found out what their profits were. He wanted to find out what their profits were. First servant reported, Master, I invested your money, and I made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with a little that I entrusted to you. So, I, so you will be governor over ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested the money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. Well, you wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten pounds. But master, they said, he already has ten pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. That's a pretty bold word right there. The Lord is good, amen. You just don't want to be against him. Now, turn to Matthew 25. Read another rendition of this parable. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And he called together his servants, and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. And the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. The servant who received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant. Give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have it in abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So a couple takeaways from this. Number one, God is not a socialist. (laughs) Come on, the first time I read these parables, I was actually uh, a little bit offended. I was like, God, I cannot believe you would take from the guy struggling and give to the guy that already had a lot. Am I the only one that thought that? Probably, because all you guys are like, no, I was just riding with it. Absolutely. But I remember reading that as like a young person, and I thought, man, God, that's not right. But the Lord's Word, He's just. He's righteous. And His Word declares, if you don't work, you don't eat. You're only entitled to that which you produce. Can I get an amen? Amen. And we have a generation that believes entitlement comes just because they were born. Well, you owe me something. Let me tell you something. You cannot go to God and tell him he owes you anything. He didn't owe you squat diddly, as we say in the South. Not squat diddly. He has never been indebted to any man. He will never be indebted to any man. You cannot go before the Lord and demand a payment from God. And that's what a lot of people do. I demand that you bless me. Well, let me tell you something. What are you doing with what God has given you? Come on, God's not a socialist. Your desperation doesn't move him. Your faith moves God. You have a responsibility to produce something with what God has given you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Yes, absolutely. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if you identify as a lot of talents or hardly any talents. You still have a responsibility to produce something. And I'll get to that. Number two, the only one rebukes, the five takeaways, God's not a socialist. If you don't work, you don't eat. You're rewarded based upon your own efforts. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. There is not a glass ceiling in the kingdom of heaven. Number two, the only one rebuked was rebuked because he made an excuse and he did nothing. So don't do nothing with what God has given you. Don't sit back and complain. And we all believe in this. We have a saying, um, don't be a backseat driver. Everybody knows that because nobody likes the person that sits there doing nothing and tell you how to do what you're supposed to do right? Yeah. And the Lord's the same way. He's like, if, if you're going to get in the fight, okay, let's fight. But if you're going to sit back there and criticize every person I got out there doing something, then shut up, exactly. right? is what it comes down to. And that's just truth right there. Yeah. Boy, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Tr- I can tell I'm hitting a nerve right now. <laughs> Let me tell you something. They got re- the one that got rebuked got rebuked because he did absolutely nothing with what was given to him. He sat back and he actually accused God of being a harsh man, a rough guy, and so that's why I didn't do anything. So he didn't even take responsibility for it. Didn't even acknowledge that you gave me something to begin with. He just picked on the character of his father and said, that's why I did nothing. People do that all the time, but not in that way. They say, well, Lord, you gave this person more than you gave me. Well, obviously they're going to do something. Look at all the talents you placed upon them. But here's little old me. Woe is me. I am but a worm. The only one rebuked was rebuked because he did something. So decide to be a doer. Come on, somebody. Get out there and do something. Even if you don't do it well, at least she did something. Are you with me right now? Sometimes that's the quickest way to learn. Just get out there and try something. And then when you fail, you know, well, that didn't work. I wonder what does work. Come on, somebody. Just sitting back trying to figure it out and never stepping out of the boat, you're never going to walk on water. You got to be a doer. Number three. God expects you to produce something with everything that he has given you, whether you consider it to be great or small. There is a responsibility on the body of Christ to produce something with your life. Your life is a gift. Do you believe that? Every breath you have is a gift. Everything you've got, God gave it to you. Everywhere you look, everywhere you go, God is with you. He's never abandoned you, and he will never leave you. And there's faith that he placed on the inside of you. The Bible says he's given to every one of us a measure of faith decide today I will not waste the measure that was given to me come on somebody and just as you begin to use that measure like the widow woman when the prophet came and said what do you have she said I have but a measure of meal and a little bit of oil he said well you can do that you can eat your last meal and die but before you do that share it with me so what God has given you and see what the Lord will do and she was sustained from the little measure somebody clap your hands say I already have more than enough Hallelujah. It doesn't matter if you started out with hardly anything or you started out with a whole lot. God is a God of multiplication. So use what you got and it'll multiply. And use what he gives you again and it'll multiply. Come on. Hallelujah. You don't have to stay where you're at right now. If you got faith to believe that, say amen. God expects you to produce something. So be pleasing to God. Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I don't know about you, but I want to be pleasing to God rather than pleasing to man. Come on. Come on. Four, what we produce in this life has consequences on eternal things. Both of these parables, Jesus spoke himself, refer to the second coming of Christ Jesus. It says the king returned. He's talking about him coming back to the earth. Which the Bible is clear about when Jesus returns The army of the Lord, even those dead in Christ Will be caught up in the glory and come back with him And it'll be a thousand years of the millennial reign of Christ Jesus Upon this earth, a new earth And in that time period, the Bible lays out That those that are faithful in this life Will be made rulers of things in the life to come This vapor of a life has eternal consequences So get off your couch and do something with what God has given you Come on I'm going to preach it today. I told you, some of you might not like me by the end of the day, but that's okay, because I'm actually a likable person. Come on. A lot of critics in the body of Christ. A lot of critics in the world. Everybody wants to be a critic. Critics, I don't even know why that actually became a career. Only in the world does a critic actually get paid. What are you talking about? Because every time you get a critically acclaimed movie, it, it, it is terrible. You know, it's true. It's like, who are these critics? They obviously have the worst taste imaginable, and they're probably the most perverse people in Hollywood because what they critically acclaim is awful. The movie There Will Be Blood, I don't know if you ever saw that. Don't, if you've never seen it, never endure that pain. Worst movie, it critically acclaimed. We started watching it, and I'm like, any moment, it's going to redeem itself. Three and a half hours later, I had to go to the Lord and just bow before Him because I was like, this is, I can't ever get that back. My life has been stolen from me. It's useless. Don't be a critic. Be a doer. And it will have eternal consequences. Even if you start with a little here, think about the life to come. Think about what heaven's going to be like. Think about your eternal reward. I know a lot of people think heaven's like the Hollywood presents it. You go there and you're floating on the clouds and you put on a white garment. You get a harp. You get a little halo and some wings. That is not heaven. People are like, really? Man. That is not what heaven's like. Heaven is just like this. It's a real place. People are walking around. People have jobs. People are doing things for the kingdom of heaven. Amen. That's biblical scripture. That's what it tells us. So there is a life to come. And what you do here on this earth matters about what you're going to be doing in that life to come. And the last one, I read these over and over again before I ever noticed this before. The last thing I noticed about this is God's expectations are based in proportion to what you begin with. Well, the person that started with five, he brought five more. The person that started with two, he brought two more. God realizes that the playing field is not even. So the question isn't, is it fair? Life is not fair. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it will be fair for you. Come on, it says he's a God of justice. He's a just God. So he recognizes what you begin with is what I'm going to hold you accountable to. Begin where you're at and then give it to me and see if I won't give you more and give you more and give you more. And that's what the Bible talks about. The blessing is to a thousand generations. You may be the first person to get saved in your family. But if you give your heart to God and you give everything you've got and you keep sowing and you keep digging and you keep planting and you keep reaping, your child will go ten times further. And your child's child will go a hundred times further. And before long, the blessing of God upon your household is something people speak about. Jesus. It's in proportion to what God has given you. So you say, I feel like the person that has half a talent. Praise God. By the end of the year, you'll get a whole talent. Hey, somebody, in three years from now, you might have two. And eight years from now, you might have four. And 15 years from now, you might have eight. And before long, you might have 64 talents. Because he's the God of multiplication. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Listen, if God is on your side and you're being faithful to do whatever you can do with what God has given you, then trust that the Lord will multiply it, even if it's a little. Once again, the prophet came to the woman that was in dire straits and said, what do you have? We just have a little bit of oil. Well, he said, let me tell you something. You go borrow every vessel in the city. You go home, you close the doors, you shut the windows and see if I won't make that oil flow until there's overflow. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say, I ain't got a lot, but it's enough. Is that good? Are you happy? Do you believe it? Say amen. Amen. Tell you something we have a responsibility to produce something with this life. And you can't blame other people. One day you'll stand before the Lord and you'll give an account for your life. So don't leave anything behind. Give everything you've got. And when you've given all you can, give even more. Tap into the realms of faith and just don't quit, people. There's something supernatural for every person. Like I said, nobody here was made to work a job. You're made in the image of the Almighty, and His Spirit breathed upon you to do something supernatural in this world. Do you believe that? Yes. All right. Let me tell you, if you go out and you get a job, speaking about jobs, because it's the reality of our lives, you, you may have a call, you may work a job. It's hand in hand. Doesn't mean that that's your life, though. Your, jo- your life should never be based upon your job. But let's say you go out and get a job. Your employer will decide what to pay you. You have the freedom to choose whether or not to accept that pay. But ultimately, that employer will choose what to pay you. But at the end of the day, the employer can never choose or determine what your actual worth is. Your worth has been established from Jesus Christ, who is willing to give everything for you. And you need to recognize that today. Say, man, I'm a $10 an hour person. You're not a $10 an hour person. You're a son of God, sacrifice on a cross, stripes upon his back kind of person. You are worth more than this world is ever, ever, ever able to pay you. Come on. Don't let your worth be determined based upon someone's capacity to give something to you. Because the best has already been given instead of you so that you could walk free today. Your worth is determined by heaven. Come, Somebody say amen. amen. This is the truth of the word of God. Something supernatural came into the world when you were born. When you were formed in your mother's womb. You hold inside of you the same power that any man of God that has ever done supernatural ex- exploits. In the name of the Lord carries. It's in you today. Hallelujah. Amen. So don't let someone else determine what your value is. Decide today to dream big, believe big, walk big, talk big, act big, live big. When you were little, did you ever, at eight years old, worry about your 401k? (laughs) Come on. Did you ever wake up and say, man, I hope at six years old, man, I pray that when I grow up, I get medical (laughs) and dental. Because... The Lord knows teeth, teeth are expensive. I'll just tell you right now, dental insurance is a joke anyways. Anyways, that doesn't even matter. You go to the dentist, you might as well just sign over your firstborn child. That's why they have a lot of workers at dentist's office. That's how people are paying these day and age. You never worried about that stuff. As a young kid, you didn't think about even what you'd been given in life. As to determine the dreams or the value of the dreams that you dreamed. You dreamed big. You talked big. You acted big. Kids, kids think big. They do. They think, of, they think of the world. They think of being president. They think of being a queen. They think, of, they think of giving bubble gum to everybody in the world. You know what it is. When I grow up, I'm going to give free gum to everybody in the world. Well, how are you going to do that? Psh, what do you mean, how am I going to do I'm just going to do it. <laughs> Shut up, Mr. Critic. <laughs> kids dream big. So maybe you've been through life and you've been beat up with all the responsibilities the world's put upon you to where you began to give up on that wild dream on the inside, that expectation that at any given moment something supernatural is about to break. It happens to every single one of us. Even this weekend sitting with Kenneth Copeland, driving back, I told my wife, it's like it reignited me the understanding because you get to a place where you're just plowing. You know what I'm saying? You know you do. You're in seasons of plowing, and every day you're like, God, give me the strength to just plow again. I'm not going to quit. I feel like all the oxen have done died of starvation, and it's just me, and I'm pushing this thing by myself. But I'm not going to quit. Come hell or high water, I won't quit. Come on, you've got to have that tenacity. You're pushing, and you just begin to think it's based upon my actions and everything, and good words spoken and faithfulness, and you lose the, 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 that, that, that childlike faith. That's like at any given moment, I stand one step away from the greatest breakthrough that heaven, heaven, every labor I've ever poured, every hour I've ever given, God has given ten times more on my behalf, and I'm standing on the cusp of the greatest breakthrough of my life, because if God be for me, who can be against me? Somebody say amen. Jesus. Jesus. He's with you. He's for you. you got to wake up with that childlike faith. Like, man, one step, one step in the right direction, and you're about to not recognize my life anymore. Come on, somebody. i tell you a story. Paula White's married to, 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 what's his name? Jonathan Cain. Thank you, babe. I was about to say McCain, and I was like, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't that guy. Jonathan Cain, A Journey. He wrote the song Don't Stop Believing. And he said, I'm sitting with him at lunch one time, and he tells me, Yeah, actually, in fact, I was 30 something years old. I was about to give up on a music career, could never do any, couldn't do anything with it. I was barely getting by. I was riding on a train, pulled out a notebook that my father had given me. His father was a minister of the gospel. And he wrote, as his dad had put on the top, Don't Stop Believing. In the dream that God has given to you. He said, riding on a train, I began to write that dream down. It got picked up by Journey. He said, one year from that day, I was a multimillionaire. Jeez. Let me tell you something. You stand on the cuff... I prophesy that there are people in here right now. Jesus, that a year from today you will not recognize your life. That things that seem so far and so pos- impossible to reach, God is going to place upon you because you have been faithful. You have been measured. You have been found faithful. And the glory and the wonder of God is about to be poured out, un- 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 unfiltered upon the body of Christ today. Jesus, we thank you for it. Supernatural acceleration. Say, Pastor Caleb, my dream's so big, it's ridiculously big. Will you have a God that boasted and said, as big as you think, as big as you dream, I am able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. Jesus, I feel like running around this place right now. Feel faith in this house. You're not alone. You're not useless. You're not ill-equipped. You're not forgotten about. You're not the underdog. You're the child of the Most High called for a supernatural purpose with His name and His Spirit on the inside of you. Hallelujah. And You're on the, you're on the cuff. So just keep going. Rise up tomorrow morning. Pop your neck. Drink your anointed cup of coffee. The liquid glory of God. Step out your door and do the things that God has called you to do. You say, will anybody notice? It doesn't matter. It matters that he notices. Jesus. Get the job done at whatever cost. Come on, somebody. You think Oral Roberts got the job done? You better believe he got the job done. You think Kenneth Copeland's getting the job done? You better believe they're getting the job done. So are you getting the job done? You alone can answer that. Get the job done. If you lost your dream, may the Lord ignite a dream in you right now. May every limitation that you have been allowed place upon you because the world speaks to you, your birth, your skin color, your sex, your gender, all of these things are limitations. Man, may may God break every glass ceiling and every lie from the pit of hell that you've ever come in agreement with May every word you ever uttered that stopped your progress. May the Lord give you a cancellation on that harvest. And may he accelerate you based upon his word right now. And may the dreams that heaven has for you be reignited on the inside of you today. In Jesus' name I pray. And maybe you're here and you have dreams. You say, Pastor Caleb, I got big dreams. And people know you as the big dreamer, the big talker, the big shouter. But you've never produced anything. You got the dreaming right. But the thing you're not doing is the doing of the dream. You don't have a plan. You're just sitting there talking, thinking that at any given moment, the Lord will do it all for me. Let me tell you, you at least have to take steps in the right direction. God, the one with one talent didn't bury it and dig up two talents and think, praise the Lord. He multiplied it in the ground. you got to go out and put your hand to something. Like I said, it's less the hands that were laid upon you and more what you actually put your hand to that God can bless. He says, I will prosper everything you place your hand to. That's a promise to each and every single one of you guys. So put your hand to something. Say, I got a big dream, but it's never come to pass. Then stop blaming God. Stop blaming the economy. Stop blaming your timing or the fact that you got married or the fact that you got kids and you're just in a season of just when these guys grow up and they are finally out of the house and the dog stops peeing inside and the wife... Pastor Caleb, I got every reason under the sun. Well, you got one reason called the Son of God that tells you anything that you believe. The Bible says nothing is impossible for those who believe. Hallelujah. But you got to do something. The widow had to make the cake for the prophet in order to see the multiplication. The other widow had to borrow the vessels and close the door to see that thing multiply. Stop wondering where the breakthrough comes from and start looking with what I currently have. What do I have right now and what can I begin to utilize in order to see the breakthrough of heaven upon my life? Somebody say, I have more than enough. Yes, you do. Amen. God agrees. So it's established. Hallelujah. Make a plan. Don't just sit back and have a great dream because the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. You sit back with a big dream and never go after that dream. You're going to get poisoned and bitter and angry frustrated, and we all know those people. And I'll just say this candidly. or I don't know if that is actually the right word. <laughs> I notice soul winning when I do a lot of uh, face-to-face soul winning, and it's not meant to upset anybody. But I've noticed that when you go up to elderly people, they are sometimes the most bitter people when you preach the gospel to them. Right. And I remember walking away one time thinking, what a rude person. And then compassion hit my heart. And I began to think, what has this person lived through to get that bitter? And I was like, God, would you give me an anointing to break past that bitterness, to put in them the word of God once more, that they could dream, believe, and be free in their later years and not have that whole hurt based the every wall around their heart to where they're so angry, they don't even listen to what you had to say, they're just bitter. That happens to people because they had a dream, they had a plan, but they never went for that thing. And so 60 years later, they look at their life and they're angry because it didn't produce what they thought it was going to produce. Don't be that person. Decide today, I will not be that person. And if you feel like you're that person right now, just give it to the Lord and say, God, I lay that before you right now. You're the healer of the broken hearts. You put all things back together. And the same measure of faith I had younger, I still have today. And you can do in one day what man cannot do in a hundred years. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God is on your side. Make a plan. Psalm 20 verse 4 says, May he grant your heart's desires and make all of your plans succeed. May he grant your heart's desires and make all of your plans succeed. Psalm 20 verse 4. You got to have a plan. In order for the Lord to make your life a success say so I don't know how to begin, start figuring it out I take a step of faith and go after it. You're believing for business, start finding people in business and sowing into that business. Do whatever you can. I remember hearing the story of one person he' believing for some type of business so he found one operating and he says, "I'll come and work for you absolutely for free if you teach me the trade So he worked months for this person totally free and just blessed that company and learned everything and they went out and the Lord blessed him in business let me tell you something you have what it takes to do the supernatural you have what it takes to be a blessing in, the, in this life to other people and make a success God didn't put you here so you could struggle reject that saying the struggle is not real that's the world you don't have a struggle with that the only struggle you should have is with your stupid mind that tries to tell you not to keep believing and you just say nope shut up I'm believing today Come on, somebody. Favor is real. The favor is real. Come on, somebody. So have hope. We're not a glass half empty type of people. You shouldn't be as a a Christian. You should be a glass half full person. Everywhere you look, you should see opportunity. In the midst of famine, you should be saying, man, there is a lot of opportunity right now. I said it just the other day. The owner of Amazon His own personal net worth gained $34 billion in two months because of COVID-19 because everybody was buying from Amazon. $34 billion, personal net worth. Now, you can't even comprehend that. I can't. If you just put that in the bank and you got 3% interest, you could buy people a house every single day of your life and never even take from the interest. You'd still have a couple hundred thousand left over. That's the reality of what the Lord is, well, the Lord hasn't really done it. He just did it. I don't know. maybe, Maybe he does know the Lord. I don't from his actions, I don't think that he does. But you shouldn't look at that and get bitter. You should look at that and realize, how can a person, without even the blessing of God, do that? And I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs, wondering how to break through into anything. God can do supernatural things in your life. Do you believe that? Say amen. amen. You have a right to be successful in life. You need to look in the mirror and speak that over yourself. You have a right. Why do you I have a right? Because the Bible calls you a joint heir with Christ Jesus, a joint heir. That means everything he earned by defeating the devil, the God of this world, is now in your line of inheritance. If you were living and you had a billionaire uncle and you, he looked at you and said, "You're the sole inheritor of my entire estate, you would live your life like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a billionaire, fool. (laughs) Well, let me tell you something. There has been an inheritance stored up for you from the foundation of time. You're a joint heir with Christ Jesus. You have every right in this world to be a success and see your life be a blessing to yourself and to others. Amen? Amen? What is that saying? I'm saying stop with the lies from hell that tell you you're not worth something. You don't need that. You can't have that. You're not important enough. Blah, 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 blah. Shut up, devil. I'm going to go out and eat a filet mignon today just to rub it in your face. And I'm going to order it o- o- Oscar style with lobster on top. And even if I got to put it on a credit card, I'll enjoy it. Because I'm blessed to the Lord. Come on, somebody. There comes a time and place that you've got to alter the way you think you got to stop listening to the lies of this world that tell you you're an insignificant person and that you don't have great value. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Any crazy thing you've ever seen, somebody inheriting a billion dollars, you're worth that. Come on. They're driving a brand new car. You're worth 10 brand new cars. they got a millionaire mansion. You're worth 18 billion mansions. Jesus himself said, I go to my father's house to prepare a mansion for you. Come on. Somebody say amen. I'm getting resistance here, so I'm going to stay on this a little while. Let me tell you something, you're worth two vacations a year. Come on, Hawaii, you should have a home in Hawaii. Come on, somebody. You know it's true. And you should have a plane to take you there whenever you want to get there. You're worth that. You say, is it about material things? No, material things are the lesser things. So if you have faith to believe that God has a house for you in heaven, you should have faith that God has something for you on earth. Come on, somebody. Shake off that mediocrity. Shake off those lies of hell. I'm not worth it. I'm not important enough. Lies, lies, lies. Your husband didn't buy flowers for you for Mother's Day. Go out and buy 18 dozen. They're like, I'm worth it, honey. Valentine's Day comes up. You didn't get chocolates. Go out and buy the whole Russell Stover store. And if he complains, say I'm worth it. So you're you're gonna preach people into debt. I'm not trying to preach you into debt. I'm trying to break the lies of mediocrity that are so, they're like woven in the fabric of this world. The Bible says there's a spirit of the world and that spirit of the world begins to condemn you and tell you you don't have value and you don't matter and you're born this way and you'll never break out and all of that is what the devil wants to keep you held captive by. But Jesus said, I am anointed to bring deliverance to the captives to set at liberty day. you believe it? Give God the greatest shout of praise. Hey, I feel fire. I feel faith. You're called. You're anointed. You're cherished. Man. So don't sit on your couch anymore. Get out and engage in the world and realize everywhere the sole of my foot treads, God's given it unto me. I have power on the inside of me. And you got to say it like an African. Don't say, I have power on in the inside of me. Say, I've got power in the inside of me. What do you got? Power. It takes your whole body to say it like an African. Americans just say, there is power, power, wonder where power in the blood of the land. Say it like you mean it. Ruin the song. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Fire! Jesus! Come on church, come on church. Mama 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 mande! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus! Jesus. Jesus! Jesus! Dream big. Ask big. Go big. Talk big. Walk big. So saying go big or go home. I say do both. Go big and go home to heaven. Come on, somebody. Thank you. I'll do both. Just like the saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. That's stupid. I'll eat my cake and I'll have my cake. It's my birthday. Get out of the way. You can't, you can't have my cake now. Jesus. The promises of God on your life are yes and Amen means yes and so be it. Come in agreement with that right now and say absolutely. Every promise. Every promise. And then any promise that somebody else squandered and wasted. Any other talent. Come on somebody. That's what the word says. Any talent out there God that someone was not faithful to use. I'll take that talent now in Jesus name. I might have began with one. But watch out world because the goodness of God is about to catapult me into the realms of more. Jesus, I'm, I'm telling you, I could fall out right now. I could lay on the ground and I would be fine. I'm glad I came to church. Who is glad you came to church this morning? Jesus. Let me tell you. I know it. I know it in my knower. I know it in my knowing, 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 knowing. I know that I know, that I knew, that I knew, that I'm knowing right now that we are standing as the global body on the cuff of the greatest move of heaven I'm telling you all of heaven is working and moving and things are conforming and the enemy's getting cocky and he's reaching out and God's like oh oh yeah what do you want what do you want boom he's about to do it and I'm telling you I feel it I feel it I feel it it's the best time to be alive you've been sitting at home saying I should have checked out in 2019 rubbish You're on 2020 because there's some Holy Ghost on the inside of you that that God's like, no, He's going to go through it all, and He's going to come out not even smelling of smoke. Come on. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. How do you get your dreams to reality, which is what I would call success? Don't look at the world to tell you what success is. That'll get you in debt. It'll get you broke. Success is really when your dreams become the reality of your life. As I said earlier, live your life so that you actually want to be you. And let that sink in. Don't live your life vicariously through somebody else. If I, could be, if I could be Kenneth Copeland. If I could be Jeff Hughes. If I could be Mark Edward. If I could be Christina. Have her boldness, her charm, watch out world. If I was Christina, the world would know about it. live your life so that you want to be you say how do I do that Pastor Caleb well you make a plan and you start you stay full of the word you stay full of hope you keep yourself every time you feel depressed you reject that you get in the presence of the Lord and you let the joy begin to flow from the inside you begin to declare from your own mouth words of faith You, you take authority you take responsibility over your own emotions and say no emotions you will not cloud my life, and muck it up. I have been bought. I have been set apart. And I will accomplish the things that God has called me to accomplish. So how do you get your dreams to be a reality? There's an important scripture I want to read to you. I hope you're doing all right now. Lord, fill their bellies right now with a heavenly appetizer. Lord, we just thank you for uh, uh, Holy Ghost, cupcakes, filling their bellies. Luke 14, 28 through 32. I'm pretty sure that that is unscriptural, but may the Lord fill you. Amen. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk that he rained cupcakes down from heaven. But I do believe that he can. Luke 14, 28. Don't begin until you count the cost. Super important, people. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Once again, this is Jesus that said this. Let me tell you something. We're all very good... At starting things. In fact, I've heard people say, I'm really good at starting things. I'm just not so good at finishing them. So you want me there at the formation, but I can't really see it through to the end. And I'll tell you this. Most likely, your conservative timeline of how long something you're believing for is going to take is not how long it's going to take. Take your conservative timeline and multiply it times 100, and you might get close. I'm just telling you, it takes more time. Even me, when I came to be the pastor five years ago, I thought that we would be eight times this size by now. Uh, and, and I'm like, God, what's taking so long? And then you go through the whole process. I'm the holdup. I'm the loser. I'm the one. I'm the... Blah, 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 blah. Woe is me. I'm but a worm. What Whatever you do with me, God. Uh... And then you have to get yourself back in line. You have to talk to your wife, and she just slaps you upside the head stop talking that junk. It's like when Job rebuked his wife. Shut up, foolish woman. I mean, that's harsh. You talk like a foolish woman. That's in the Bible. And Job slept alone that night. <laughs> But there's, it's important that when you start something, have the fortitude and the wherewithal to decide to complete whatever you start and not quit because it took longer than you thought. Man, I have a dream. I started it and I realized it's going to take too long. So I gave up on the dream. And I'm just going to see what the, Lord, what the world gives me. Let me tell you what the world will give you. Nothing. It'll take everything you got. And it'll keep taking, because if you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. Don't ever stop fighting. Have the fight in you and know that that fight, the strength to fight that battle, that's why we praise the way we do. You might come in heavy, you praise and you shake that heaviness off. That's how you fight your battle. Come on, somebody. Till you walk out of here feeling alive and free, saying, man, the Lord is with me. I can do this thing. God is for me. Jesus. And then you begin to look at opposition as confirmation. Because let me tell you, opposition does not show you that the Lord is not with you. It shows you the line that the enemy does not want you to cross. And so now there should be a fight awakening in you like, okay, Uh Mm -hmm. I got some attention here. Yeah, I'm going to push past this thing. Got fight in me. That fight is there because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you and God is more than a conqueror. So you're more than a conqueror. But it is foolish to begin something that you never determine whether or not you would finish. And don't expect everything to be easy. And I know we all do. We all all expect it to be. We all say that. But at the end of the day, it will be tougher most likely than you thought it was going to be. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. You just have to keep up. Don't give up because it's tiring, tougher, taking longer than you thought. Fight for your birthright. Fight for your birthright. As a child of God, born again by the spirit of the living God and by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you have a calling upon your life to take territory from the enemy. Fight for that birthright. He doesn't want you to have it. He wants to convince you you're not good enough. You're not qualified enough. But all of those things don't matter because the qualifications you stand with is the fact that Jesus already bought this for me and I come with all the hosts of heaven on my side. I will have my birthright in this life. If you believe it, take your hands, clap them and say amen. Fight for it. Fight for that birthright. You're wrestling it from the hands of the enemy himself. He doesn't want to give it to you, but it doesn't mean he can stop it. just means he'll huff and puff and blow, but he ain't blowing down this house because we're built upon the rock. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe you've started a lot, but you've never seen it through. Today, your story changes in Jesus' name. Let me tell you a story about three farmers. A fifth-generation farmer, a second-generation farmer, and a first-generation farmer. Now, the fifth-generation farmer, obviously, after five generations of farming, has every advantage you could imagine. Five generations of knowledge, five generations of wealth stored up. The the farm is paid for, the equipment's paid for, everything. They're established in the area. They're known as farmers. The second-generation farmer, he grew up watching his dad fight, push, give all that he had, to produce this dream of a farm and make it a reality so that when he passed away, he could turn it over to the hands' sons. And so that son grew up watching his dad make something out of nothing. First-generation farmer, he has nothing. He didn't really have that much knowledge. (laughs) He certainly doesn't have any land, so he has to go and borrow with all that he's got holding nothing back, sinking his entire life to make the dream of farming a reality for him because he feels he's supposed to farm. Now, unbeknownst to all of them, devastation hits. The economy took a collapse. Banks started repoing. Farmers started struggling. Prices of milk dropped. Everything was down. So everything that they would hedged their lives upon was collapsing around them. And the fifth-generation farmer... He began to look out the window and then look at the family album, and he'd made this decision. Nobody in the five generations of my life or of our farm has ever faced situations as difficult as this. So I believe it's time to quit, throw in the towel, sell the farm, get what I can, and move to the city. I'll work a job. So he sold the farm, five generations of multiplication, turned over to another person, as he went to the city second-generation farmer depressed forlorn and upset because here's the dream that he watched his dad fight to make happen crumbling around him and he just decides I'm gonna dig in my heels and I'm gonna go out with the ship because my dad didn't do all of this so I could turn it over and sure enough he did that farm was taken over by the bank and he lost everything but at least he didn't quit so to speak but the first-generation farmer He didn't have anything to look back to. And he knew he had already given everything that he had to this farm. So he actually laughed. And he called the banks and he said, listen here. I know that people are collapsing all around you. I know that I owe you a lot of money. Let me tell you something. I'm good for that money. If you will give me a break, I will continue to farm. And I will fight and I will turn this thing around. And I will see that every penny I owe you is paid back. The banks answered on the other side and said, at least someone's willing to work with us. We'll work with you too. And he fought. That farm made it, and it survived. And that's a true story of my own dad that began farming by himself as a first-generation farmer. The moral of the story is this. It does not matter if it was given to you or you fought to get it. It doesn't matter if it was easy or hard. What matters is your success today still is determined by your efforts today. you got to stay in the fight, people. Just because you're facing unexpected challenges doesn't mean you give up and walk away. It means you just decide, God is with me, and you make a plan, and you go after it and say, God, bless this plan. Because the next scripture I want to read you, the Bible says in Philippians, no, wait. Jesus, Proverbs 16, 1 through 3, we can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. When you're serving God, don't ever let your dreams or your hardships be an excuse to pull you away from God. No matter what you're going through, Paul said, if I've got a lot or I don't have hardly anything, I've discovered that I can be content because the Lord is with me, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't give up. And keep this in mind as you go through, and it takes a long time, that God made man and gave us free will. You freely chose to be here today. No usher went to your house and held you at gunpoint and brought you here. Although we're thinking about instilling that ministry, seeing about Joey and Luigi going out and just bringing in. Compel them to come in. (laughs) You got that covered. The prison ministry is like, we got some candidates. We got some candidates for you. Good people, but they're scary. You had a free will. God, God gave man free will from the beginning. And before he even made man, it's important to take note that God knew we would fail before he even made us. Which meant before God even made, and breathed, made Adam out of the dust and breathed his spirit on the inside of him, God already knew Adam would fail, so God already had a plan in motion to redeem that man. So before man fell, God already had a goal and a plan and a strategy. And though it took thousands of years, and he had to work with Rahab the prostitute. He had to work with David out in the field. He had to work with Ruth that was just left all alone from a Moabite and had to declare, where you go, I go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. The kinsman redeemer. Redeemed man before man ever fell. But it still took thousands of years because God was faithful To stay the course of time and not quit. For the Bible says he is faithful to complete that which he begins. Well, if that nature is in Christ Jesus, that nature is in you. Because the Bible says you have the mind of Christ. Somebody say amen. Your nature, your heavenly nature is that you are faithful to complete whatever you begin. And it may take a hundred years. It may be your children's children that walk in the fullness of what God showed you. But it's your efforts today that determine whether or not your life will be the success that God has called it to be. Preaching hard. Do you still like me? Are you still happy? Okay. You're as child. You're made in God's image. Listen, Christians should be the most goal-oriented people on planet Earth. Because our eyes have already been opened to the reality of heaven. We know the promise that is set before us. This is not made up. This is the truth of your life. That there is a place waiting for you on the other side. You can stake your life on it. It comes. And it comes in the blink of an eye because this life is but a vapor and it's gone. So, if we can believe... That God has given us a home in heaven and that everything Christ Jesus did thousands of years ago applies to us today and we'll make heaven our next home. It takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe that God can anoint you here on this earth to do supernatural things. So in other words, if you have faith that heaven is real and that we got a free ride to it, it takes lesser faith to believe and trust God to succeed here on planet earth. Believe that the Lord is on your side. Amen. In closing. I love going out in the country. I grew up in Tennessee. We, we had 400 acres on a farm right on a mountain. And I used to wander the mountain as a kid. I'd disappear for half a day. And I'd walk all the trails and the mountains. And I'd look at waterfalls. And, and I love being in the country because it shows you the, 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 the tapestry of the artist of God. Like God didn't make a flower. God made flowers. Plethora of flowers. Not many times can you use the word Plethora. Thank you, Lord, for that great opportunity to make me look intelligent today. He didn't make a dog. He made French bulldogs. Well, I guess man started making French bulldogs, but he made multiples of animals. He made birds. He didn't make a bird. There's so many birds out there. It's a true thing. There are people that are bird watchers that travel the world to get a glimpse through a camera of a rare bird species. And you thought you didn't have purpose. Just If you're a bird watcher, I love you, man. I love you. I'm just picking on you because it's easy to pick on you. You watch those birds, bro. You watch them all. You take a picture of the red-headed, yellow-bellied, snapper, dragon, crested, butte, pelican, Scandinavia. You take that picture. And you tell your family at Thanksgiving about the wonder of that moment. Crisp air, the snap of a twig, snap right as it flew off. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I get on these kicks, and it's, it actually takes effort for me to stop. I can just keep going on these things. It's, it's in my DNA. I can literally talk for an hour on this and not change the subject. Changing the subject, though. I also love being in big cities. I've always. So growing up in the country, it was like I was, I was what, 20, almost 20 years old before I ever really even got to travel. I've been to, like, Kentucky. <laughs> if you're from Kentucky, you're awesome, man. And I'm from Tennessee, but I just didn't get to travel far. And um, first time I walked in a big city, and you're like skyscrapers all around you you feel like an ant. I loved that moment. I actually felt like faith arose in my heart because you look at that, and these giant skyscrapers were not put there by God. They were built by a man with a plan. And it shows you the capacity that is on the inside of mankind, that everywhere you look at all the wonders that man has built, God put it there That there is so much on the inside of you that has not been released and not been unlocked. And all it takes is an encounter with God, a fresh faith to say, I can do these things. And then begin to step out and go after the things that God has called you to go after. And you may build a skyscraper with your life. And I pray that you do that in Jesus' name. God made you with unlimited capacity on the inside. But remember this. To go where you've never gone, you're going to have to do what you've never done. If you sit there and say, how do I get there? Well, let me tell you something right now. If nothing is moving forward in your life, it is time to change some things up. If you can chart progress, praise the Lord, be faithful and keep plowing. But if your life has been stagnant and it has stopped moving forward, then it's time to go to the Lord and say, God, I want a fresh vision and I want a fresh plan because I refuse To sit here and see nothing come from my life. And if I can get someone on the keys behind me. God has called you to make a difference and to go after something. You have a responsibility in the word of God to take what heaven has given you and multiply it here on this earth. And beyond that, not just the calling of God, but think about the people in your life. If you're a parent, think about what you instill in your children. When you live out before them a life of faith that produces results from God. That child will never grow up questioning is God good because they saw their parents display the goodness of God poured out before them. That's the heritage and that's the legacy you want to leave on this earth. Can I get an amen? amen? Don't allow excuses to become the loudest voice in your head. And don't quit just because it got difficult or it took longer than you thought. And every time your mind tells you that you're not the one to do it, just remind your mind that's okay. Okay. Because where I am weak, I am made strong. And it's not me that qualifies myself. It's Christ Jesus that qualifies me. And if those dreams were placed there from God, I commit my actions to the Lord. I will serve Him all the days of my life. And I will watch God promote and accelerate my life to be a testimony to my children and my children's children if the Lord tarries. I refuse to listen to the lies of hell that tell me I can't do these things because God is truly for me. When I was in Oral Roberts University, my wife and I went to the Tulsa Zoo and we go to the rhino cage. Rhino. And the the fence in the rhino cage was about this tall. And it was two strings of wire. And I look at that I look at this rhino, and there was a guy that worked at the zoo there, and I said, bro, what is this? Like, this doesn't hold in a goat. And the guy said, it's crazy. You know, people always say that. But he said, you see how that rhino is tied to that stick in the middle? This is a little post right in the middle. He says, with a rhinoceros, if you take them as a baby, and you put a stake in the ground that'll hold them, and you put a a, a rope around their neck, It trains the rhinoceros that he is not capable of removing that stick from the ground. So, as they grow up, even though they're strong enough and he can pull that thing out in a heartbeat, in his mind, he cannot pull it out, so he doesn't even try. And I thought to myself when I heard that, man, how have I been programmed to think a stick can hold me back? Jesus, you better grab that right now. I don't care. If you've been beat up, chewed up, thrown out, disregarded, overlooked, forgotten about, it does not matter. That stick is coming out of the ground today. You take everything you've got. You run with all you have. And you know that every limitation that was placed there by a lie from hell is about to come splintering out of its place. And you're going to run freer than you've ever ran before. If you believe it, say amen today thanks for listening to the river claremont podcast if you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of jesus you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com your prayers and financial support are changing lives